That was, I don't want to say like pretty bad because it was a good game. It was a good game. I had a blast. You had a blast. Smile. smile status. Trey's smile status is in a good spot right now. The Raptors lose a double overtime game, 135 to 127 against the Oklahoma City Thunder, one of the best teams in the NBA. And they played them hard. They played them tough. A lot of the success was due to how they played Shea Gilgis Alexander, how they were able to funnel the ball to other guys and force and, you know, some of it is shooting luck. Some of it is forcing a difficult shooting night for a team that wanted to get threes up. And the only thing that allowed the Thunder to kind of get back into this, they knuckleballed by going to a lot of Lou Dort, who was able to punish closeouts, pressure the rim, and create a lot of playmaking opportunities for himself and others. And the Raptors got, I think, a fantastic game out of Jakob Pertl, especially. They had one of the best driving games. <laughs> wow! They... they uh, Emmanuel quickly had maybe his best driving, not his best game overall, but maybe his best driving game as a Raptor. And it was a fun game. Yeah. We got a lot of good performances in this one. They should have won. Like, they really should have. When we were watching them line up for the the tying layup that Wiggins got, Giddy threw up, like, it's just a backdoor cut. It was like a twirl action going downhill. You called it. And, like, before, when they were lining up, I saw that the Raptors set their line really high, and I was like, why are they extending the zone of the defense so high? And then they got hit for a back cut. If you start the zone lower, then, like, the catch-up to that is a lot easier. You can't lead a guy into a layup. And I was like, why do, Why is the defense like this? But, so that's, I guess, a bit of an L. And then there was some weird stuff that happened. Scotty, there's going to be a lot of conversation from the fan base, a little bit from ourselves, where we're like, you know, was he a little bit injured? Is he miffed? Because while there is, I think, some like opportunity cost, like maybe he didn't get that much of the ball. He moved the ball on really quickly after getting it repeatedly. And so I was kind of in interested about his process because I don't think this is the usual for him. He's one of the most aggressive late game scorers in all of the NBA. One of the like highest usage, high leverage scores in the NBA. This was a departure from his usual process. So um, Lewis asked about the blanket situation. We're going to give it to the, the blanketsman S. Tell us your initial feel of this game. Uh, it was a cozy game. Uh, as you know, since we're wearing a blanket and whatnot, it was a cozy game. Look, um, just to reiterate, I thought it was an awesome game. Like it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun watching it. Uh, it was back and forth in the second half. Like you said, in the first half, they did a lot of great things to limit SGA, tons of nail help, forcing it into their shooters. The Thunder shot 63 threes, which is just an insane amount of threes, even in today's game. Um, so it's just, I think, I think the Raptors did some things to mess them up in the first half. In the second half, the Thunder countered in a major way, like you said, battling into the rim, battering into the rim. Uh, and it worked. And for the most part, I thought, the Raptors, can we get S to try to dunk live without the commercial cutting off? Listen, <laughs> listen, it was a dunk. It was a successful dunk. Uh, <laughs> I've been I've been doing shock therapy on my calves. Um, yeah, no, I, I I think the the thing in the second half was that the Thunder just started to play better uh, for the most part, which is like they are a good team and they did play up to their standards of one of the best teams in the Western Conference. Uh, we could probably get into the, the nitty gritty about Scotty struggling. And I actually thought on the opposite side of that, we saw maybe the most aggressive and poised Emmanuel quickly fourth quarter and overtime game, like as a Raptor. So it was just like, wow, we're seeing quickly take over, be the guy. But then on the other side, we're seeing the, the face of the franchise, you know, completely different. Is that, is, is it one or the other or is it? I don't want to start that dialogue, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It's definitely not one or the other, but it, it was interesting in this game. And I think like depending on the game and especially in an NBA that has more talent than ever, one of the important things is like identifying the most advantageous mismatch, most advantageous matchup. And Jakob was doing a fantastic job against like Chet, clearing out space, putting IQ in space. And for a game where he was actually hitting those in-between shots, the touch shots, and using the extra dribble we've kind of been talking about, you know, myself and S on the Raptor show last week talked about it with Blake. 
that development is super important. Even that like one pass, like two foot stop in the lane, two foot jump, and then that pass down to Jakob late. That's awesome. Yeah. And while Jakob, a couple of his points were just like post entry from like Scotty or something like that. A lot of it was that symbiotic IQ yak pick and roll, which is also why I think like a really good center is imperative for progression and development. And I think that kind of behooves the Raptors to keep Jakob on the team. Yeah, exactly. And Jakob was a huge part of their defense, completely dominated Chet for large parts of the game. If you want the conspiracy, the easiest look at like, are the Raptors tanking is Jakob didn't close the game and he probably should have closed the game, but he didn't. (laughs) And the Raptors got a whole bunch of really good pick and roll process out of this game where in past games, they just haven't against the Rockets, you know, both quickly and uh, Yawk looked kind of limited. This game was a huge change. Quickly took extra dribbles. He made shots that he hasn't been hitting in a Raptors jersey a lot of the time. He had a tween snatchback step back into a triple, which was like crazy. RJ had this curved drive and then like punched it. There was a lot of fun stuff that did happen. Of course, it's going to be clouded because a lot of like conversation gets polarized and then put into like one thing. So there's going to be the Scotty dialogue is a lot of this game. It's the big thing, but there was a lot of great process in this game from a bunch of guys that have been injured lately, haven't been able to turn it up lately. And still at the end of this game, despite Scotty being like quiet at the end, still like a super solid game. And he still played like 46 minutes. And the Thunder are like a top four team in the NBA, whether, you know, by record, maybe they're top three. I can't remember exactly, but they're one of the best teams in the NBA. They're tough to beat, even without J-Dub. And the Raptors had a great scheme. Credit to Darko, credit to the team for playing to it. It did fall apart a little bit at the end because Chet hit some threes. Lou Dort was able to drive and dish. Even Josh Giddy hit some threes, right? That's Josh actually led the Thunder in scoring. Yeah. That's He finished with 24, as crazy as that is. And uh, yeah, it's it's tough. But um, yeah, that's uh, Trey. We're going to swing it to you. Thoughts on the game? <laughs> um, not as cozy as us because he took the blanket from me. But. Um, like overall, I think you still saw a lot of flashes of like what the team can be defensively. They showed tons of effort, far more than they did in Houston, and they were left to Josh Giddy hitting open shots and Lou Dort having to play make downhill. Although he, th- both of them did those things, like nine out of ten times you're taking those possessions over and over again. Just the fact that they were able to to force multiple times for Shea to have to swing the ball and actually make him work says a. says a lot about their pride and effort heading into the game um i think huge win is um some of the stacked the stacked possessions that they ran for grady he was able to put the ball on the floor show a little bit he was able to attack that closeout also and score in the lane he's getting more comfortable he's winning those actual minutes that he's playing with so i overall like this is the type of loss that i'll take they're they were very competitive. Houston, Houston put me in a, a little bit of a depression. A little bit, like gave me 2006, 2005. Wow, but that's, that's crazy. But, <laughs> but they, but they came back. They gave really good effort. And like you said, like Emmanuel quickly, a lot of the stuff like with his passing was something that I wasn't expecting with him coming into the team. And the the snake dribble that he looked like he was going to fake into the floor, then dished off into the lane, is something that shows that he with adding more with more possessions that he's getting more comfortable he's going to be able to attack those and i think his floater eventually is going to normalize to what it's been uh, the large part of his career he's not hitting it at the clip that he usually does and once that turns turns into into form he's hitting the three really well you're we're going to get good production out of him here's a, an interesting question from trace124 Quote, they needed to stop doubling scotty didn't have the legs to close out and it was open threes for okc till the end I think that sometimes teams can double to their detriment. I think that doesn't make sense. But I do wonder, like, we see Shea late game was able to hit a pull-up three in Scotty's face, was able to hit, like, the pull-up pushing in early transition, and was generally, if you don't double Shea above the break, what you're going to end up doing is sending bodies to him when he's in the lane. And the the above-the-break doubling, I actually think, put the ball in like Chet's hands above the break. He was passive the whole game. And a lot of guys like Wiggins, like Kendrick Williamson, like all these guys 
Kenrick Williams. <laughs> yeah, Kenrick Williams. Uh, but all the all these guys, they kind of like were getting stuck above the break and had passiveness. If you let Cache is going to get into the lane in single coverage, he had 14. And like that's even a little bit low because he put them in four on three situations every single time. And they passed up a lot of them. They didn't pressure a lot of them. And honestly, on top of that, like I would rather the team recover from the double above the break then recover out from collapsing into the middle of the defense. Because what ended up happening is like a lot of the time they were able to scramble back and keep like all of these two man actions of the thunder that they were running in front of them with the lesser players than like Shea. And if you don't double Shea is going to worm his way into the middle. And anytime they didn't double, like he found success immediately. And I think at a higher clip than they did when they were doubling, it would be interesting on like second spectrum to look over what the numbers were in this game or something like that. Maybe Synergy will have it post-game. But it is an interesting like point of view because the Raptors have in the past doubled to their detriment. But in this game, Especially I think it made sense. Yeah. Like like the Raptors for a very long time, if this was a Nick Nurse-led team, this would be the game plan, a, a very normal game plan against a superstar. It's just that we haven't seen it very often this year. So when you go back to it, it's sort of a, I guess you're you're kind of caught off guard there. I thought for the most part, you have to pick your poison. A lot of people are mentioning it here. I think someone already did. It's like, look, you're either going to let Shea go for 30 or 40, which he very well could have, or you're going to, yeah. Yeah. Like he's one of the best scorers, most efficient scorers, even in the first half, those tough shots, the mid range shots that just look like we said like water, like some of the easiest looks you could get. Um, that's going to happen very often for a guy who's probably going to win MVP this year. You're going to most likely double a guy like that and force some of the lesser players. And for the most part, like through three quarters, that worked, right? And yes, the Thunder came back. Yes, that makes it a little bit more disheartening, but that's what good teams do. Like good teams will figure out how to beat you, even if you throw a very interesting game plan at them. You know, like putting on the NBA cap and taking off the Raptors cap for a second. This was a good learning game for the Thunder, too, because it's like, how are you going to game plan when teams are loading up massively and letting Giddy be the guy to beat you or Chet be the guy to beat you? And when you don't have J-Dub, how are you going to kind of process all this? I thought that that was a like that was a tough win from OKC. And a lot of the OKC fans in my replies are like, man. What a good game from the Raptors. I like this young, feisty team. Well. They played well. And this uh, team just got 30 feet. Yeah. Yes. I used to. And then they came back in, against the number one team in the West and yeah. took it to double overtime. Like, that is a good process game, a developmental game. Um, I feel like we should talk about RJ here because sure. he came back, right? And RJ was absolutely awesome. What did, what did he have? Like 23 points tonight? 23 points for this. 23 points, four assists, seven <laughs> rebounds. And I think RJ represents in this Raptors, like late IQ figured it out. We we're kind of laughing about it. The one the one play, like yeah. he goes, he processed four. And then Matt Devlin, after Alvin Williams says some sort of his version of analysis, Matt Devlin goes like three for 11 from the floor. So IQ figured it out late, yeah. but RJ was the predominant provider. And Scotty, like almost half of his made shots in this game, three pointers. And on the inside, it was like not as easy as he may have liked. But RJ continues to from the left, from the right side to the left side of the basket, pressure the rim, that curl. We saw it like the line drive curl in the fourth quarter or sorry, in overtime where he punched it and really punched that. And then we saw like the the pump, the little snug pick and roll, snake it, keep the guy on your back and then wait for the rotation to step back out of the lane, then punch that gap. And nice little tight finish at the rim, like, and and the dump and the dump offs as well. Like Dort on the one side is a player who has sometimes been seen as having like tunnel vision. He had immensely important like dump off passes, laydowns, find the dunker spot, and on the other side too, RJ. Like the one pass to Scotty on the short side was incredible. And also credit, I think Scotty made one of those like genius cuts that I love so much. It's kind of uh, the cut that um, I met. The 45 on the strong side. So you're cutting with the guy in unison, basically. You're like, you're starting like eight or 10 feet apart and you converge in the middle of the lane. One coming from here, one coming from here for audio listeners. Uh, 
above the break, like straight on at the rim and then 45 degree angle from the rim. And like, there was a dump off from Dennis there. And he just like tracked the steps perfectly, got to the rim, a fourth quarter score or late third quarter, if I remember correctly, like genius cut. Fantastic. You want more of that timing them up and finding the space is difficult, but when you do, it's incredibly impressive. So there's like a bunch of good stuff that happened in this game to get it back to RJ. He comes back into the lineup efficient again, like extra creation from that spot playmaking bulldozing to the rim. He misses the three point at the end, but like that play wasn't drawn up for him. He was shooting over Chet Holmgren. It's just like, he didn't make that, but RJ continues to like not really turn the ball over when he takes possessions. He makes good on them is very efficient, adds a bunch to the offense and he's not bogging anything down. I think everybody has kind of been waiting for like the other shoe to drop. And while the defense, like, man, that play late. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, because RJ was supposed to set the edge on the pick and roll with Giddy. And the thing about Giddy is you don't have to set the edge very wide because as far as like athleticism in the NBA, he's like the first or zeroth percentile. And RJ set the edge like he was guarding Trey Young or something. (laughs) And Giddy got to like split. And then Scotty came swinging over and gave up that end one. And so like RJ, you don't have to get that wide for Giddy, just like for next time. But overall, the route to RJ being like just really, really impressive does include a bunch of defense, obviously. But offensively, I can't find anything wrong with the offensive process. He just comes out there and makes good plays. And like every player has problems, of course, and makes mistakes over the course of the game. Like IQ's passing was tremendous late in game, but he also had the turnover, right? Like he he got into the middle of the lane. He, he went a little bit too deep. Four guys converged, turnover. That's a mistake. But on the whole, you say this was a great game. RJ, after almost every game, you feel like offensively, that's a great game. Defensively, they give up 135, you know? And they've been like one of the worst defenses over the past however many games. But good stuff. Oleg, do you have any thoughts about this game? <laughs> Go on. Right right here. Right here. Hey. 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 So, considering that... Um, okay. Hey, I got to get real close with it. Yeah, considering what I've seen with uh, RJ and IQ and how they'll be playing together, I haven't been watching that many games. And I got a few with you, but it's like watching how IQ was like turning it up like late in the in a late in the game and then Scotty just having like such a like just I was saying like a shell of himself when he was speaking. I was like, who am I watching? Is this the bully ball man that I know? Like he was like so passive like and like shooter was also like was giving like you know running around doing a lot of shooter stuff taking <laughs> out, taking <laughs> taking mid-range shots that you don't really expect him to uh, you do expect him to take but it's like um honestly overall though it was like a fun game to watch because it was like a lot of action and all that stuff like Shea was cooking everyone they had to blitz him so they came oh i would love some stats five for 16 and he was minus 23 just to like validate valid, validate That's your emotions. Very shooter-esque, <laughs> I would say. But um yeah, overall though, um some 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 lessons that were learned here. <laughs> Wins, and lessons. Wins and lessons, right? So a lot of lessons were learned here. And um hopefully I mean, it looks like they just want a lot of lessons now. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, we're, we're taking the Raptors to school soon. So, uh, so yeah, that's my take for the game. <laughs> um, we're going to look at some comments from the comment section. Where else would they be, I guess? Um, okay. So, actually, here's Trace124 says, ain't no way Darko subbed Gary for shooter after he just made two threes. Like, what? So, mm-hmm. this was interesting. Do you guys agree with... Scotty got subbed out for Gary late, which was a little bit odd. We've seen this before where in overtime or in late games, Scotty getting subbed out at like five or four minutes to get subbed out later. And then we also saw Scotty come back in for Jakob, which, as I said earlier, you know, maybe that's an indicator of tankathon, et cetera. Um, What do you guys think about the process of like trying to get that guy? Let's say they're trying to win basketball games, trying to get that guy a quick breather. It isn't common in the NBA to do that substitution pattern. Do we agree with that process? Any who wants who wants the mic? All right. 
based on the process, it looks like they're team keep, but <laughs> it's just the the fact that one that they chose Gary to to sub out with Scotty on defense, and and two in in the moment of the the game, like obviously like Scotty's played played the most minutes he's played all season, and you want to get him a, a breather, but there was other options that they could have they could have chose. And they, he probably, like, based on, like, his process offensively, they probably could have gave him a breather, like, on an offense possession where Gary would have been much, much more useful. They they took Jakob out for Scotty, who's also been great as uh, for our backline defense, like, with the Raptors playing so aggressive at the point of attack. So, like, I, I'm sure, like, Darko's thinking of getting Scotty a, a breather and trying to get him uh, an extra win for the next offensive possession, but, like, Gary Gary Tread Jr. has like been a negative on both ends, so it's like tough to see the actual thought process. It's, there's been a few games where Gary has had, you know, these really hot starts, and like there will be like a, a run of play where he hits like two threes in three minutes, and that's a huge deal. But largely, we're looking at a guy that you look at the end of the game, he's not that efficient. Some of the defensive stuff can be pretty gnarly throughout the game, and also like he's not giving you a bunch of that like driving pop. He's not giving you a bunch of that playmaking pop. And also, this is what I wrote about, like, Jordan Wara can do, like, a decent facsimile of Gary, if, you know. And 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 Grady, as you talked about, as S and I haven't t- discussed it yet, so thank you for bringing that up and discussing it. But, like, Grady giving you some, like, quality offensive possessions from a creation standpoint and also being a guy who, like, maybe it's not going to go in at the same rate if the three-point shots, like, find him. But... He can stand in the same places and he'll hit one or two of them. Probably. I don't know if he hits four, but this was a game that like in the first half, Gary's hitting and the Raptors are kind of running away from it. They build a 23 point lead, you know, the end of the fourth quarter into overtime, Chet Holmgren being like one for six from three and ending up at like four for 10, you know, Lou Dort finishing five for 12 after missing a bunch early, Aaron Wiggins starting like one for five and finishing with like four made threes. Like, it swung back. And this is why they say like defense can affect three point percentage to some degree, but it's easier to affect three point volume. And the Raptors decided this game, they were going to try and beat the thunder by kind of like making it less about Shea, making it about everyone else. And the thunder are a really great team outside of Shea too. And that fact they're swung. I mean, I, it's interesting as you know, Zarar says, is S wearing a Snuggie? He's trying to snuggle in. It's a it's a tough game, man. Like, I just, in a game like this, to quote Lewis Satsman, who definitely didn't coin this, but I'll quote him, <laughs> wins and lessons. And the Raptors continue to learn a lot about their team. Even if you don't get everything you want, you get flashes. Flashes help you indicate something to look for, to track going forward from the fan perspective, from the analyst's perspective, and from the team's perspective. And you just have to be able to try and like mine those nuggets of play style and gameplay to try and build your team going forward. Did you guys see anything in this game that makes you feel like, you know, IQ, does that make you feel better going forward? Barrett, does that make you feel better going forward? Anything like that pop off in this game? All right, cook, cook. I mean, honestly, mostly all of it. The the fourth quarter and overtime process from IQ to be aggressive and look for a shot, but also make some plays down the stretch. RJ, like you mentioned, barreling into the paint, making plays through that rim pressure. Even Yak, just the effect, the presence he has, both on offense and defense. You see him being that you know back end line of protection. That's really important when you're doubling so far out, right? If you're if you're really putting pressure on the ball with Shea, you're gonna have to force Yak to split the difference a bunch in these three on four situations or three on two situations. So it's like Yak, his importance to this team, both developmentally but also if they're trying to win games, which is interesting because of the whole, he didn't play the final minute of this game. I know some people mentioned the hack a yak. I don't think that would have applied necessarily. Like the fact that he was, they, they subbed him out because if they started hacking him, it would have been a different story, but I, yeah, I, I, I don't necessarily know if that'd be the case. Mark, they know is like a guy. I think I remember him having a quote. That was like, we don't do that. And he's also, he's also been a guy like any of the cliche, you know, schematic stuff that doesn't actually bear out in the numbers. He has quotes about, he's like, he's one of the guys who famously is like, I'm not going to foul my guy out of the game. If he's in foul trouble, 
he'll keep playing yeah. because I'm not going to limit his minutes. Right. He, he'll foul out. And there's like a lot of other stuff. I think Mark is on the other side of that. So I don't think it was hacky yak stuff. And also that's just like, I don't know. I don't think that was the reason. Yeah. yeah. To, to your point, I don't think that was the reason he got subbed out. And ultimately you see the importance of yak developmentally for a guy like IQ setting those screens, giving him the runway to get downhill, giving them runway to set and settle into his shots. That was really important for him in, in the fourth quarter and overtime RJ, like I mentioned, you talked about Grady. I thought that was really important when you think about the trade deadline and the potential expanded role Grady could have after the trade deadline, whether it's Gary getting traded or Bruce Brown, like there's just going to be more minutes at hand for him. Um, it is interesting that Chris Boucher did not play tonight. Jordan Oro did not play tonight. So it's just like, hmm, maybe those guys are on the outside looking in rotation wise. Again, you're so close to the trade deadline. It's sort of hard to assess these things. But at the same time, when you think about developmental wins, even when it comes to Scotty and having that really, really great start to the game that he had and then teetering off and not being as aggressive as the game went on, I think having that type of game is important to note moving forward because now it's like, oh, that's a point of reference for if that happens again or if something along those lines happens again. Because you like you don't have to necessarily think of this as an inflection point for Scotty, yeah. but it's like a you jot it down and say, okay, well, this happened here. We'll see how to track it and move forward. And that's part of development. It's like, okay, this happened. Let's see what else will happen after that, you know? It's also like for the health of anything, he's a like he's a great forward. Yeah. He sometimes can emulate like big man stuff. He sometimes can emulate like wing stuff. I know a lot of people think he emulates like guard stuff a lot of the time. Like the point guard Scotty is still like very popular. I, I still think he thinks of himself that way, right? Yeah. And you know, he has fan like he has supporters in the organization of that play style. And but also is like it's nice to see Scotty, even if it was maybe a bit too passively for my taste in particular, slide in next to, you know, some really good point guard and center play. And it, it'll be interesting and important for him to do so in a way that toggles up his usage more meaningfully than it was at the end of the game. But Scotty isn't going to be a heliocentric player. Heliocentrism is dying in the NBA for a reason because the talent level is so high. And we see teams like, the Thunder almost lost this game for their lack of ability to like create outside of Shea. They needed the guys to help around that to get back into it and to eventually win. And Shea is a guy who he can lead a team being like the sun everyone else revolves around, but it's much healthier to be able to like in a moment's notice switch. And the Raptors in this game, even if it wasn't Scotty dominating late, they found an avenue to get late game scoring where Honestly, the IQ stuff like game in a bunch of other games as a Raptor has not been good. Oh, it's, it's been, been it's yeah. been clunky. It's yeah. been messy. He hasn't been able to get downhill. He gets locked above the break. It's just like not been impressive play style. What is impressive, though, is that we are selling tickets February 6th, hey. a live tr pre-trade deadline show downtown Toronto, Rivoli. Doors are open at 6. The first, the, the first panel is at like 715, 720 or so. Last year, we sold it out. Go to just raptorsrepublic.com. A pop-up will allow you to buy the tickets. Myself, S, and Trey will be there, but so will William Liu. So will Blake Murphy. So will Lindsey Dunn, Amana Don, Brandon Leftwich, a coach for the Raptors 905. Who else am I? Andrew Damlin, Lewis Zatzman, and I think that's it. Yeah, yeah, I got it. So just keep that in mind, everybody. And while I've ruined the flow of the podcast, all the people listening right now, make sure to like the video because it helps spread it to other people for the algorithm. Okay. Um, oh, Coco is telling me, she says, Lewis, thank you. Lewis you know, will be there. This, is, this is kind of a thing when I see like a Twitch streamer or something like that, and they're talking about something and they're like, oh, I can't think of it. The chat is always like, it's like a flowing encyclopedia of knowledge, which is, there's a lot of good answers in there. Um, Okay, here's what I think. Trevor Norlander asks an interesting question that we can use to expand on this um, shooting guard thing, which will transition us to kind of like the shape of the team over the next however long. Trevor Norlander says, quote, I feel like GTJ best skill set suffers a lot under Darko's offense, end quote. So I think that GTJ 
definitely, you know, I've talked about this before. I don't think he flourishes under Darko's offense because Darko's offense requires more than a shooter. It requires somebody to make progressive reads. It requires somebody to be like dynamic with their dribble. And those things are actually more important than shooting, i.e. RJ Barrett immediately pops off as soon as he joins the Raptors, right? And Gary was a guy who succeeded at his most as a late shot clock shot maker in isolation and a spot up shooter, wide open spot ups that were often the result of Jakob Pertl getting tagged, yeah. a Fred Van Vliet double above the break or a Pascal double in a post up or a Scotty double in a post up, mm-hmm. leaving him with these this huge chasm between he and a defender to hit threes. In the free flow, like continuous motion offense, 0.5 basketball, he doesn't have a lot of the like ancillary stuff that helps him move through those things. Wara, you know, somebody mentioned in chat earlier that they thought he was injured. Um, Raptors PR sends out the stuff before every game. He wasn't on the report. So Wara, as far as I understand, was available for this game and healthy. Grady, we saw make some like nice continuous motion reads. What do we think the future of the shooting guard slash gunner position looks like on this Raptors team? And I think like Trevor is, you know, getting on something correct that like maybe like Gary isn't necessarily a hand in glove fit. Anybody have thoughts? I I think like the reasoning like for the Grady pick is how well like he would fit within that actual offense because like you saw the possession when he comes off of the off of both screens he's able to use his dribble create a shot and we've seen it other times when he comes off of those screens he can then turn that into a possession for even other people. Um, the big thing with with Gary is that one like his his two dribble um, pull up has plummeted from where it was the last couple of years. Uh, two years ago, he was hanging out a clip of or closer to Kevin Durant, which kind of was, which was obviously like unsustainable. And now, like the the Raptors play far more horizontally than when they had Pascal, who was creating tons of advantages. He's just not getting the the same opportunities that he would. I find it like fairly similar to. Do you remember like when Kelly Oubre was on the the Warriors, yeah. and how he immensely That's struggled because he had to play off of motion, get the ball, and. and Yes, and Embiid is able to to take the ball from from the mid post, create an advantage, and he ha- doesn't have to move at all. And now he's a, a perfect glove fit. So I could see, like, possibly at the deadline. I won't say everything because come on Tuesday, <laughs> <laughs> but I could see another team thinking we need a, we need a spot up shooter. He shoots the ball at a really good clip, and he at times can create turnovers and create defensive events for. A good team. Micah says Colin is reportedly available. Quick sex backcourt. <laughs> well, um, I, I would I would like it. Like the Raptors are already a bad point of attack team, so it wouldn't it, it, would, well <laughs> it would as well lead into it. But I think they need they need to figure out who is going to be their next dribble drive creator. I don't think it's Emmanuel quickly. I think he fits well within the offense and whatever you want Scotty to be like as he matures and grows, but I don't necessarily think he's going to be able to get downhill in the ways that will help the, the overall structure of the team. Yeah. I know you're big on this topic. <laughs> Do you want to talk about this S? Um, I mean, I get, I just to reiterate, I agree. I don't want to give out, you know, any, any tidbits from Tuesday. You know what oh. I mean? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Yes. Things can change. I, I do think – I thought the Kelly Oubre point is a really, really important point because we talk about systems and offense and how guys fit into them. Uh, the way Grady is playing, you saw that, you know, the staggered pins, he came off of it, nice little hesitation move, settled into a mid-range jumper. But then we've seen him make, like you said, progressive reads, throwing that alley-oop pass, nice little dump off, or making the swing pass to the other corner. Like there's there's moments where you see him be more than a shooter. It's a very cliche saying, but that it's true. And in Darko's offense, you need to be more than a shooter. Gary is sort of restricted to being that and his value is derived so much from being just a shooter. That's why like this month or last month in January, he was shooting 50% from three. That was big month, month. maybe his best month of the year, probably his best month of the year. And, And like, yeah, people say he's better as a starter. It's because he is 
working off of the advantages other people create, working off of the advantages Scotty or IQ create or whoever. Uh, and that's why he's shooting the ball so well. So it's like, it's tough to see him. I it's I struggle to see him be a part of the future of this team because of the fact that he's so refined to just one specific role. So, yeah, that's all I got uh, on the on the Scotty front. Nice little baseball bat. You know, I, I did that for yesterday's recap or the other day, whatever it was. You remember how Jalen Rose used to do that yeah. for Grantland? Hell yeah. He, he keeps the bat on you. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a podcast with a bat. I feel, Yeah, I do feel like Jalen Rose <laughs> to some degree. Although I guess with the white guy, Bald Dome, kind of like <laughs> Jacoby. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, Coco asks, I'm asking again if possible. I wanted to hear more about how defense felt much better today. Yeah, that's a great point. The defense was much better. And I think that it's a credit to the Raptors for not only concocting the correct type of defense for this game, a type of defense that succeeded before the game went to like the two extra frames. And I think a lot of schemes are designed for guys to play like 37 minutes and under. <laughs> Obviously, guy, a couple guys go north of 40 in this game. Scotty plays 46, almost 47. Um, catching up on defense gets a little bit tougher. And you see, obviously, like Josh Giddy, Chet Holmgren above the three or above the break threes, they're going to that'll break your defense because you have to be able to allow some stuff, especially when you overload on Shea. So the defense was better, not because the team is changing their packages going forward, I don't think, but they were afforded a unique opportunity against an MVP candidate to like shape shift their defense completely to throw a unique look at him. They're they're playing the Pelicans tomorrow. There's just no way they're going to throw the exact same type of defense out. Like maybe they are aggressive when Zion and Bi catch the ball. Like Bi does a lot of what? <laughs> if, if they double Brandon Ingram when he has the ball, <laughs> turn off the game because <laughs> we would it would be a very long night if if Zion has a closeouts. Yeah, that's a good point. No, you're right. You're right. That is a good point. To see, but like to that point. This isn't something that you can replicate for every single matchup or every single game. It's just like you said, it's a one off. It's not a one off. I think it's important to establish how you can be a good perimeter defense. And they 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 found some solutions there. They were connected, I thought, uh, in their rotations, in like the closeouts and just like getting back to their man. Like there were moments where they broke down, but for the most part, through three quarters, they stayed connected. They stayed with each other. Um, and that's an important part, especially when you're a young team. So. There's also kind of um, for anybody who wants to learn about defense or offense in the NBA at large, there's a good, I guess, inflection point here that the Thunder had a really tough um, time making like breaking the Raptors defense because they were only able to pop above the break and Shea was mostly making those reads. We recently saw the Raptors play and blitz another ball handler in Trey Young who completely eviscerated them in regulation to the tune of 126 points by being able to access a rolling big. And Chet is not a rolling big. Jalen Williams is like a short rolling big at best. And even then, the Raptors were mostly being able to take that away and force the ball above the break. Trey, who is, you know, a, a much better passer than Shea, you can't take away any pass from him. He will manipulate and open the passing window. And I think that credit to the Raptors in this game forcing the ball sideways so that they have more time to catch up and keeping the, like the initial breakdown isn't above the break three. There's a lot of teams and a lot of guys like that. You're very okay with that. There's a lot less guys where the initial breakdown being a big catching nine feet from the rim with a live dribble and their steps, really bad news, like terrible. That's not good at all. And uh, Adonde Raps Gaming says, why does the host have a baseball bat? Is he training for the Blue Jays? Well, I'll tell you something great right now. He assumed I was the host because of my alpha male energy. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. Um, and Minaz Rahman says, but that was without Pirtle, though. I That is true, but also Pirtle would be involved in some of these blitzing actions, right? So, yeah, like... Pirtle would be involved in some of those blitzing actions. And that means that he isn't the, the bottom guy. You know what I mean? So, and also like whether you, it doesn't matter, like the defense does matter to some degree, but Trey is just a much more gifted guy beating a blitz than Shea is currently. 
Like Shea had Shea had trouble with it, to be quite honest. He like they made him more passive for a large part of the game than he wanted to be. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, first of all, a leg Coco says hi. Uh, second of all, I, I guess I wanted to just ask you guys because I feel like a lot of the conversation online, possibly a lot of the people in this chat will be wondering, talking about Scotty, right? Sure. And that fourth quarter, the overtime, the passiveness, whatever. You know, this is besides this game. I'm not even going to mention this game. You talked about how aggressive Scotty is as a fourth quarter player, as a final frame player, like how, how much he looks for his shots. Generally, though, like scouting report wise coming into the league, it wasn't like he was this aggressive, I'm going to score the ball type of player. Do you think that is maybe bleeding into any of this or is it something else that I, <laughs> I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to throw allegations out anything along the lines of that. I'm not trying to start anything. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to start anything. I'm just curious if you think the passiveness is something that sometimes he taps into because he wants to get other guys involved. I'll just throw it up. I'll, I'll throw it back to you. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'll, not sure but yeah like um i think like games like this like you just take it as as lessons as lewis likes to say like he scotty's had several fourth quarters where he's been very aggressive he's one of the best fourth score fourth course scorers in the league this season so like obviously like the the gary possession you would love for him to shoot the ball or make some sort of decision that would have given the team some sort of advantage like I, I don't take like games like this as like the like the macro of his entire season. He's had tons of no. games that I would just throw it in the trash and just go on to the Pelicans tomorrow. So I think that Scotty has his resume as an NBA scorer. I think here we go. Yeah. His resume as an NBA scorer, a late game scorer, I think is like ironclad. It's been this way for many, many games. And I think that that passivity, we see it all the time, kind of like it's like that Jokic type of passivity yeah. or like a LeBron yeah. type of passivity. Right. I think I said it first. That's Barney. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I mean to say is like Scotty, that pass he made to quickly for three in the corner in overtime, like really, really quick processing, realized what the best play was. And though he could have because it was after an offensive rebound he could have went into a broken defense and probably gotten a layup. I think he quickly understood like, this is the best play to make. That's the play I'm going to make. Whereas a lot of the other stuff I think was uncharacteristic of him. Maybe he's tired. Maybe he tweaks something. Maybe it could be anything. You know, it could just be like not his best game. It could be like just not making the right decision. It could be a lot of different things. Like Scotty had a tough start to his sophomore season. I think that what was under discussed was probably like the health of his ankle. And a lot of like he still only ended up scoring 15.3 points, the same as ro his rookie season. People were talking about like his passivity. People were talking about his aggression, but and like do it over the course of four quarters or something like that. I get that those things come up in this game. I think this is just like a blip. And I think that the passivity. Treat it as a blip, no, nothing. Nothing gets treated as a blip. You know, you live and die by every game. You know, Pascal Siakam played like over the course of the last three seasons, he played like 65% of his games on trial. And he got kind of like a, a, a grace period where people were like, oh, Pascal's great or whatever. But then he went back on trial and everyone's like, every game is a do or die. I don't think Scotty's there yet, but as a max, he's going to get a max extension as that type of player. People immediately are like, you make more than, or you make the same amount of money as Tobias Harris lead them to a chip or you're like, you're cooked. Like, I don't, I don't really know, but I think that that passivity shows up in healthy ways, the same way it does for Jokic and LeBron. And I think that there was like more passivity in this game that was uncharacteristic. And I don't think it was characteristic of like Montverde. I don't think it was characteristic of like Florida state. I think this was something completely unique that has shown up before and, but not often. He is a guy who, by the numbers, is like a big-time clutch scorer. It's high-leverage baskets, big-time high-leverage scorer. I think, like, still he might have the most points, not like points per, you know, high-leverage situation, but the most points in high-leverage situations this season. So it's just, like, the learning curve. And honestly, it could be. You hate to say it in a league where everyone wants, like, every game to be a big deal, but, like, 46 minutes 
it could he could have been really tired now is it disappointing to me that you know they have a chance to win the game and then ends up with gary Trent jr fading with shea gilks alexander on him instead of scotty with like four seconds left having the ball above the break put the screws to him man like get downhill you could get to the line you only need to make one two to win right so that kind of stuff especially since he is extremely adept at getting to the line getting to the rim whenever he wants especially late game by like muscularly bullfrogging his way down there i would like to see it did we see it no is that like is this you know like no it's not no but guys but but guys like you will say that you know (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah that's kind of like that's how i feel about it um micah says what do you think the actual end of play call was their calls were like it seemed like every play was broken and like also kind of a weird like part of that was i don't want to be too hard on scotty but like part of that was his fault he picked up his dribble in the backcourt and made the raptors start their ato from the backcourt that changes the complexion of the play they wanted to run at the end of the fourth quarter and so that means that they don't get to run like a pet action or something because the structure of the offense has to be set up differently so they end up having a broken play and having RJ take a three over Chet Holmgren. Maybe if they get the ball to the front court, then because like all Scotty had to do was dribble it into the front court, call timeout. But they ended up like a leave behind for Emmanuel. He has to take a timeout in the back court. That kind of stuff is just like focus in, make sure you're there for the game. I'm not really sure, but as far as like the, as far as like what they're trying to drop late in game, I think they've been good. Well, they, they've had good ATOs this season. I've covered quite a few of them. Lewis also wrote a piece on Raptors Republic kind of detailing some of them. But there wasn't a ton of creativity in this game. And I think when you have something good going, like the Emmanuel quickly Yaka pick and roll, which was the lifeblood of their offense late, you don't have to write a complicated ATO because you can kind of flatten things out and get back to that pick and roll, which they did. Now, when the Raptors are throwing like a bunch of doubles and blitzing Shea above the break, you might expect them to raise the back line of their defense and you might run a twirl action to get a backdoor cut to tie the game with a layup yeah. for one of your like fourth best player on the floor. That's good coaching. Also good coaching, going to the simple stuff when the simple stuff is working. But that's kind of my takeaway. Any qualms about coaching stuff? Does anybody want the mic? <laughs> <laughs> I've had it for a while. Uh, Brad Lofton says, do you guys think the team has a chance tomorrow? Can you do a preview breakdown? New Orleans. Uh, okay, New Orleans. Hmm. He's a big New Orleans guy. Yeah, Cook. Yeah, you always say this is yeah. Yeah. Oh, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I I do think they have a chance. Like the the Pelicans are a team that take a lot of mid-range shots. So the you the Raptors in theories can can run a really tight shell and get a lot of contested shots. I think it really comes down to can they force enough rotations where they can get in front of zion when he's getting downhill <laughs> if brandon ingram is able to actually get in the lane and create a, a, an advantage they, that's so funny. then they then they actually don't have a chance <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll do a preview yeah. by taking us back in time oh, <laughs> november 28th oh, 2022 oh, these no. three guys right here just saw a raptors team that you know, went to six games with Philadelphia that we thought was going to be at least in the playoff picture, probably like a top six seed, maybe, maybe top seven for last season, something like that. We all get together, the whole friend group, and we go to a bar to watch New Orleans versus the Raptors. Not good. Not good at all. Best Zion game I've ever seen. In my life. He was incredible. The and they ran roughshod over them. This is the first time the Raptors will play in New Orleans since that game. I hope that the Raptors bring more than they did that night. And I'll tell you why. Because the Raptors brought nothing that night. (laughs) So I hope that on on a back-to-back, which will be difficult, double overtime, and Oklahoma is not particularly close to New Orleans. Like, it's still a bit of a... You still gotta travel there, dog. I guess it's true. Yeah. Like it's it's like it's pretty far north compared to like New Orleans is like at the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's at the bottom. <laughs> I played Red Dead Redemption. You know, I went to Saint Denis. That's that's the New Orleans thing. Yeah. So, you know, Phoenix plays. He says, flight. "Light, bro." 
Okay, Nesta. <laughs> I don't know who you are that you know that you've been on the Oklahoma to New Orleans. Okay, I don't travel that much. I only been to New Orleans once in my life, and I was flying from Saskatchewan. And maybe that was a longer flight than Oklahoma, <laughs> I should say. But regardless, if they have the mental fortitude and the effort that they had tonight, they're going to have a shot. Yeah. That's what I'll say. Raptors fan says three-hour flight, a leg. Three-hour flight, three-hour flight, three-hour flight. Nesta, yeah, we we have Jamie. Can you pull that up? (laughs) Wait, we don't want that affiliation. Actually, (laughs) button, button. Okay, but anyway, um, yeah, the Raptors. If they have the same like attention to detail on defense, if they get the same type of dribble drive, because like Emmanuel quickly. I know the digs are coming from like Herb Jones, but it's also like CJ McCollum at the point of attack. Like you can wiggle into the middle and also, but here's the thing too. And this is not a good thing. This is what happens. If you blitz anything, and this is why he said like, don't blitz. If Jonas Valanciunas catches below the free throw line, it might be curtains. That's bad news bears. He gets paid $15 million a year for eight years in a row to do just that. Um, but I'm very excited. Um, New Orleans has been like one of my favorite teams to watch over the past couple of years in fits and starts. If anyone remembers the pull up trade podcast last season, God, oh, yeah. we, 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 Trey and I had a bet. So when New Orleans was healthy, well, no, it didn't. Yeah. They both flamed out. So we had a bet last season where New Orleans at the time had, wasn't first, but they had been first like two weeks pre- prior to it. Yeah. I picked New Orleans to come out of the West. Yeesh, right? He picked he picked Memphis to come out of the West. If New Orleans came out of the West, I shaved that dome. <laughs> I seen him at six years old with sunglasses and a fine boy, bald head over there. And I wanted to see that again. And he, we were talking about this before. I was like, isn't it nice a beard can give you a jawline? I had to shave my beard if the Grizzlies came out of the West. And obviously... For different reasons, both teams flamed out in dramatic fashion. So um, I'm looking forward to New Orleans because that is like a fantastical team. You know, last year when we were at the the trade deadline podcast at Rivley, the live podcast, we kind of referenced New Orleans as like, if you're going to build 6'9", because Vision 6'9 was still a thing that was happening. It's completely dead. Yeah, Vision 6'5". Yeah, like... (laughs) It's no longer something that's happening, but we're we're looking at New Orleans and being like, you look at the six nine guys that they have, and they have a bunch of different skill sets like Herb Jones, Trey Murphy, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, even like Larry Nance Jr. was part of it, right? They have a lot more diverse skill sets than the Raptors collection of six nine guys, and we're like, okay, if you're going to do this, you at least want to build in a diverse way, and I think the Raptors made the right decision after that to just kind of like not do the six nine thing which i'm glad and we get like you know these entertaining losses like tonight it's been 53 minutes phoenix plays e you always ask great questions i'll let you get i'll I'll give you time to get one off i know you said you were late to the the live chat or the the show so get ready to ask something but is there anything you guys want to say before we get out of here i will uh i'll throw a question out there we have we have two games until the trade deadline and there has obviously been some talk about who may go, who may stay. I don't want you guys to give away your answers and all that stuff, but just in general, how? I'll give away my answer. Okay, yeah. Do you think someone's <laughs> <laughs> just someone's a... <laughs> the live show? Like, if I say I think this guy's getting traded, and they're like, I'm not going. <laughs> like people are coming because they're like they like basketball talks. They want to like, take... but it's like I'm like I think Chris Boucher's getting traded. They're like, can I cancel my? <laughs> Okay, either way, tell me your predictions, I guess, for who goes and who stays. Okay, quickly, Bruce Brown, gone. Yeah. Chris Boucher, gone. That's it. That's it. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll say the teams, too. Oh, same. Okay. A little, right. little, little spice here. Oh, we can't give that. Oh, <laughs> no, no, oh, wait. <laughs> Please still come on Tuesday. 
<laughs> but, <laughs> please. <laughs> I'm a nice boy. <laughs> um, I'll say Bruce Brown to the Knicks. Chris Chris Boucher to the Phoenix Suns. And then Gary Trent Jr. to the Brooklyn Nets. And that's it. Wow. Wait, who comes back to Brooklyn? I, I think they're going to absorb him in their trade player. Maybe, um, yeah, then we'll get maybe a couple seconds for right. our service. Does that does two seconds make you happy? Is there a turn? <laughs> well, while Norman Powell was a, a great Raptor, <laughs> sometimes you sometimes you just got to take some trades as lessons. All right. Okay. And so um, the question from Phoenix Play Z. One question, not Raptors related, but who do you think is that big surprise player that might get moved at the deadline that no one expects? This is a good question. You're the little trade monger. Do you have anything? <laughs> do you have anything in mind? Like the thing is, I don't sit around cooking up trades. I don't I don't sit around cooking up trades. And you know what? You you're in withdrawal. He so he doesn't do it anymore, but he did. He used to do it so often that he's now a DM magnet for trades. People will send them to him like, "Hey, I cooked something real nasty up. I managed to put Larry Markinen and Michael Bridges on the Raptors, and we're only trading Gary Trent Jr. Like, there's some monstrosities. But do you have anybody? Any? And you're like an NBA wide guy, sure. People talk like you do Bleacher Report streaming. Like you're a big deal. You make lots of money. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that is all fake. Um, how about Clay Thompson? We were just talking. We were just talking about him. Uh, like what? Like thirty minutes? I don't know. Like maybe over an hour ago. No, no, not on the Raptors. But I do think there's a world because he needs his extension. He he needs his money. Golden State needs to shake things up. He's a big chunk of salary that can be outgoing. They need to shake things up massively. It would be a massive move and also something that kind of plays to his question, which is like, this is going to shake things up in a major way that's surprising. It would be surprising if Clay got traded, but also it's not so surprising that you couldn't see it happening. So, yeah, maybe Clay. Okay. I, I like that. Um, Coco I said Mikhail, but that's too easy. Yeah, that's yeah. that's maybe yeah. not that surprising. Coco says you censored it this time from trade pervert to trade monger. It was because I was calling someone that directly, you know, <laughs> yeah, like I, I would feel really like I don't mind like speaking to the the void and being like you trade cap perverts or whatever. But looking at S and calling him a trade pervert felt kind of wrong. But I'm really happy to see Micah in all caps put S the little trade monger Barahini. <laughs> um yeah, you know how um, Trey on Twitter always puts like Trey and then like the slash and then he whatever his um, agenda is at any given point in time. I hope S puts the little trade monger for his. Um, yeah, does any during trade season, slop season, as it were, that feels like a podcast. Do you guys want to say anything before we get out of here? Come to come to Riverly on Tuesday. Yeah. Sure. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, come come to Riverly on Tuesday. For great chats and friendship like these guys. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh, wait, wait. We, we can do a thumbnail. Oh, yeah. Everyone get ready for a thumbnail. Okay, look at the Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, thanks for hopping on. Make sure to like the video before you get out of here. It helps suggest it in the algorithm to other places. Stay tuned. Tomorrow morning, you'll get one of Isfandiar's recaps, which we are so happy and pleased and uh, like lucky to be hosting on the Raptors Republic YouTube channel. And also, of course, Tuesday, Rivoli, downtown Toronto. Myself, S, Trey, William Liu, Blake Murphy, Amana Don, Andrew Damlin, Brandon Lefwich, Louis Satsman, like Lindsey Dunn. I think I got them all. <laughs> A leg might be there in the crowd if you want just someone to kick it with. He's got great vibes. Uh, yeah, you got, here we go. There he is. <laughs> wait, wait, you got to get in. Get in. Yeah, come on. Get in. Yeah, yeah. Okay, everyone. Hey, that's pretty good. Okay, everybody. Thanks for hopping in. And whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day. And goodbye. All right. We got a podcast.